Mkwanazi Kaluva says that her team is not going to be discouraged by these threats. And she joins us on the line now to tell us more. Uh, thanks for your time once again. Oh, thanks for having us. Now, um, Ms. Mkwanazi Kaluva, the last time we spoke, uh, you know, you were fairly confident that the uh, religious leaders would come forward and abide uh, by the summons that were issued to them. But uh, since we spoke then, how has the uh, process unfolded? Have they been uh, cooperating? The majority are cooperating. They come in quietly. We have a very good discussion. They give us their documents and they leave. Without any drama, the minority, I must stress, are those that bring buses almost every day at Brown Park in our offices. We're having matches of people who have been transported by the same pastors and bishops and whatever who are coming to our office saying, hands off our pastor, our bishop, our archbishop. But those, it's the it's a serious minority. They make the loudest of noises. They bring in armed guards. They've got all these loud people who come into the office screaming at us, saying, where's this Togo? We want to see her. You, you see, it's, it's unnecessary drama. I was naive thinking when you deal with religious leaders, you will expect a certain kind of behavior. Because, you know, I come from a normal religious background, not this serious excitement. But what is happening is that the behavior has been very threatening. And when you further incite people by saying people are antichrist and they are devil worshippers and they are, you know, they are godless, you incite the Christians to deal with those people accordingly. And once you hold people's minds and you control their minds and you make them do anything you want them to do, it can get unusually dangerous. Now, Ms. Kaluwa, you say that, uh, you know, this is a serious minority. How many uh, people are we talking about here? The people we are talking about who are resistant, there may be six whom were said, you know, if you continue along these lines, we'll have to do what the act says we must do. There are only six out of over 40 people who have been invited, but they're the ones who are getting the most attention. So so, so what, what exactly are they resisting? What is it that they do not want to disclose? The main issue, because, you know, if you are qualified or qualified, if you not, you not. It's mainly the financials. People don't want to account according to what have you done with the money you collect from people. Which account does it go to? Can we have the annual financial statements of that account the money goes to? They don't want to account. They say, uh, this money has nothing to do with you. It's our money. People pay us to perform. People pay us for the services we render. And that's an illegal argument because legally they're supposed to account. These are donated funds and they have to be treated in a particular way. That's the only thing that they are resisting. And then the others just feel, why should we account? Well, already, you see, like the South African Council of Churches has been arguing that they're being painted with the same brush. For us, there is no brush to paint anybody with. The issue at hand is, How are you running the church? Is there any form of commercialization? 
when you have that cut system that every month people must pay a certain amount of money, and when people are poor and unemployed, what happens when they don't have the money and then you say they can't be buried until and unless the money is paid? We term that commercializing a religious service. And for people who have been attending church every Sunday, suddenly they pass on because they're in arrears. Then you have commercialized the service. And that comes from old churches, traditional churches. So they seem to think we're painting them with the same brushes. People are selling water and whatever. There are different levels of commercialization. And we're saying let's have a discussion as a nation and as we struggle with unemployment, inequality, and poverty, how does this play out on the ground in terms of the rights of people to religious services?